Masechet Yevamot Daf Kof Vav, and with this stuff we complete the twelfth perek of Masechet Yevamot. Uh, more details about Halitza. Tenora Banan Halitza Mutaet Keshera. A Baraita teaches that a mistaken Halitza is still valid. So what does this mean, a mistaken Halitza? Ezehui Halitza Mutaet. We're going to see two explanations. Amar Resh Lakish Kol Sheomrim Lo Halos Ubekach Ata Konsa. This is a case where the Betin will trick the man and tell him, listen, uh, listen, Yabam, you should do Chalitza, and by doing Chalitza, you will actually bring her into your home and marry her. Uh, they're going to tell the guy, so apparently the guy wants to do Yibum, but let's say she doesn't want to. Um, but he's going to refuse. He, um, the, you know, you can have a, a real aguna case because if the man refuses to do yibum, then uh, you know she cannot uh, or chalitza, then she cannot go and get, go ahead and get remarried. So, uh, so we might go to him and say, "Oh, you want to marry her?" Even if she doesn't, so we say, "Okay, fine, you can marry her. Do chalitza, and that will be a marriage ceremony." So he doesn't know the difference. The guy, uh, he's uh, he's not uh, well read. And so we tell him that even though we tricked him and he thinks he's marrying her instead of separating her, nevertheless, that is valid. That's what Esh Lakish says. We're going to see some rabbis actually followed this advice and did this. This is impossible. We have a Baraita that teaches us that uh, with, if either party did not have intention, uh, whether, let's say, he did have intention to do Chalitza and she did not, or she had intention and he did not. We saw application of cases like this before. Uh, if, uh, you know, he comes home from a long day of work and she happens to be there and uh, takes off his shoe, but she has no intention to do Chalitza. She's just taking off his shoe. Uh, it's no good until both of them have kavana. So you see that they both have to have some basic uh, intention that they are performing chalitza. And the Yochanan is going to assume that doesn't that mean that they have intention not just to do something called chalitza, but they have to have some awareness of what that what chalitza accomplishes, that this will sever their relationship. I mean, you know, if someone does uh, kiddushin, thinking that by giving her this ring, he's going to acquire a bridge, uh, or that will be a separation. You know, I mean, you have to have some awareness of what you're doing and what the meaning of it is. And so therefore, he cannot agree with Resh Akish that if man believes he's marrying someone by doing chalitza, that that is valid. Uh, so no way. Rather, Rabbi Yochanan explains that Baraita that said a mistaken Halitza is valid. It's talking about a different case, it's talking about a case where um, uh, she said, uh, where the Betin says, do Halitza to her on condition that you receive 200 zoos, right? She will give you 200 zoos. And so this will encourage him. Uh, again, it's accomplishing a similar goal with a man that doesn't want to do uh, doesn't want to do chalitza. He wants to maybe torture her, or he wants to do yibum and marry her. And so, uh, so we have to incentivize him. So we incentivize him by saying, okay, you know what? You're going to get two hundred zoos, and then he does chalitza. In that case, 
it's a mistaken because we don't actually have to pay even if she doesn't pay the 200 dues after it's still the chalitza is valid and we have a beraita that supports the Yochanan's interpretation beraita says mistaken Chalitza is kosher. And what is a mistaken chalitza? When we tell him, do chalitza, and she will give you 200 uh, zoos. That's a huge amount of money. And so he does it, and we don't give him the money, and that's perfectly fine. Okay, why should it be okay to do something on condition, and then not fulfill the condition and still be valid? In other areas of halacha, that would not be true. Uh, if someone gives a get on condition, right? This is a get on condition that you pay something, or uh, you know, uh, don't uh, smoke for the next 30 days or something. Uh, then that, the get is dependent on the condition. Why would this be different? It seems the difference here is that the, um, uh, the, that chalitza is a performance. Um, just like uh, this kind of performance, you cannot, be, you cannot do with an agent. Uh, whereas get, I can, the man can send someone to, to give the get, and she can send someone to receive the get. Because there, it's simply the transfer of the get is what affects a legal change. That's all that needs to be done. Whereas uh, regarding a chalitza, it's the man that has to be shamed. This kind of shame punishment that should be public, publicly embarrassed that he didn't fulfill his responsibility to his deceased brother and to his widow. So as long as that act is done and people are there and they see it, then it really doesn't matter uh, this could also explain the intention. It doesn't matter if what he thinks he's doing, uh, if he thinks that by doing this he's marrying her. It also doesn't matter if there's some other condition. The act by itself is what effectuates the change, uh, independent of what uh, he thinks or independent of any condition. Uh, other things, uh, so it's related to uh, having an agent, as the commentaries say here. Uh, can you do a shaliach? Similar to other things that are an act, you can't send someone to do sota, to drink the sota waters for you. The woman has to do it. You can't send someone to put on tefillin for you or shake lulav. All these things are performances that one must do on, uh, on their own. And so therefore, here is the performance of the chalitza that affects the chalitza, uh, even if there is a condition that they said the condition is not binding. All right, and now we see this was actually used. A woman who fell to a yavam who was not proper to her. Maybe there was a big difference in age or he was... Um, not attracted, she was not attracted to him. Uh, he didn't want to just do chalitza just like that. For you know, he wanted to marry her, so they told him, Okay, you know what, do chalitza and you'll get 200 zoos. 200 zoos is the standard amount of a kitubah. This is like uh, you know, many tens of thousands of dollars, uh, at least. Uh, and so they did that. He gave the, he did the chalitza with her, and then she didn't pay. And Rabbi Chia judged the matter and said, it's fine, it's a valid, uh, it's a valid chalitza. Another story. Amrullah Biti Amodi. 
אמרה להם, ישיבתה זו היא עמידתה. So you had a, a, a יבמה that came before the בחייבת אבא, and so now they're in court, and he, she, he says, the rabbi says, my daughter, wasn't his daughter, it means, you know, my uh, young, young woman, uh, stand up, it's time for you to be judged, and when you're judged, you um, stand up. Uh, he means by that, that, okay, you must do yibum, so, you know, stand up, and now uh, we will charge you to go and do yibum. She said, um, no, rather you should say her sitting is her standing. She's referring to herself. Uh, my sitting is my standing. Uh, some people read instead of Emma, Ima, that her mother was there uh, pleading on her behalf, but there's no need to say that. Uh, okay, so she says, no, she basically she's refusing. She says, I don't want to do Yibum, I want to do Chalitza. Uh, the phrase here means by sitting and not doing uh, Yibum, that is how I will be upstanding, right? I'm not a uh, uh, a shake shirking my responsibility to the deceased husband by doing this it's simply for whatever reason not appropriate uh, I don't want to do the boom and so my uh, pride will be standing by sitting out and not doing boom okay so the judge said what do you know him yes I do know him and here's what I know about him uh, he, you know what he wants? You know why he wants to do Yibum with me? Because he sees that I have a lot of money and he wants to uh, take that money for himself. He's not doing it with proper intention. He's, uh, he's has ulterior motives. Uh, the guy's uh, just a gold digger. And that's why I don't want to, I want to want to do Yibum. Amar la, lo nichalach. So Rebichia says, okay, so it's not acceptable to you? Amar le, lo, no, it's not acceptable to me. Amar le, halos la, ubekach ata konsa. So then Rebichia said to the Yavam, go and do halisa, and by doing that, you will marry her. He had to trick him. So he uses Resh Akish's trick. Uh, so the guy says, oh great, now I can marry her, I'm going to get all her, all her money. And he goes and he does the hadisa, he allows her to go take off his shoe and be spat at. And then the judge tells the avam, oh, I tricked you, from now on you are unfit to marry her forever. See, it could be that way, the way he was uh, tricking her. Maybe they actually knew that Chalitza does a separation, but maybe the uh, the judge was telling her, telling him, listen, do Chalitza so you'll separate from the Ibum, and then you can do a regular marriage. He's tricking him into thinking that after Chalitza you could do uh, you can then go ahead and marry, and that way you could do a regular marriage, kiddushin and nisuin, and so on. That might have been the trick. And now he says, "Oh, actually, I tricked you. The halacha is that once you do chalisa, then you can never marry her ever, ever again." Uh, so um, that explanation might make a little more sense and explain Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan's uh, um, um, uh, question. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan says, "Don't you have to have some basic uh, intention?" Yeah, according to this, you can have basic intention that. Is separating. It's just they said, oh, separate and then marry. 
Okay. But now, it says, no, now you can't marry. So now the judge tells him, listen, now be a good sport. There's no way you're going to marry her anyway, no matter what you do. So, how about do chalitza again, where, and now with the proper intention, so that she can go and marry uh, someone else. You see that Rabbi Chiyah did not want to follow Reshakish fully, um, perhaps because of Rabbi Yochanan's question. So he thought that this uh, doing chalitza, Amanda's chalitza, thinking that that actually marries them, uh, uh, then, uh, or thinking that they can marry her afterwards, his intention is actually to marry, uh, th- then that is sufficient to prohibit her to any of her, any of the brothers, but would not be sufficient for her to go and marry else, marry, uh, someone else. Uh, so he says, okay, now do Chalitza again, since you have no shot anyway of marrying her yourself. Or another story. Bat Chamudra Papa Nafla, Lifne Yavam She'en Hagun La. So the papa's sister-in-law fell to a yavam who was not fitting for uh, for her. Again, difference in age, or he was uh, he's a tanner and he smells bad, or uh, whatever reason. And it comes to Abaye, who is Rapapa's teacher. So Abaye is going to use the same trick and say, uh, "Hey, listen, you want to do? You want to marry her? Good. Do chalitza, and then you'll, and then you can marry that. By, through that, you can marry her." The papa, the student, and also the sister-in-law, he's looking out for his sister-in-law here, uh, says, wait, uh, my master, Abaye, didn't you hear what Rabbi Yochanan said? Rabbi Yochanan said, you have to have intention uh, in order to Chalitza to be bowed. If he has intention that he's, he's marrying her through Chalitza, it's no good. Uh, so Abaye says, okay, then what should I say? Now tell him, Tell him to give to do chalitza so that she will give him two hundred zoos. Interestingly, right? It looks like Abaye never heard of the answer uh, that we proposed before. Uh, we before we we assumed it was Rabbi Yochanan saying it, but maybe not. Maybe it was the stama, the anonymous voice of the Gemara that was saying it, uh, not Rabbi Yochanan, or maybe it was Rabbi Yochanan. But for whatever reason, Abaye did not hear that tradition. But a papa either did hear that tradition, or a papa maybe is the originator of this uh, of this explanation. Although actually, before we saw a Baraita uh, that does say exactly this. So yeah, for sure it was a Baraita, but uh, not every Amora uh, always heard a Baraita. So uh, so it could be Abaye that never heard that Baraita, but the papa uh, did. Or he uh, himself uh, came up with the same answer. Anyway, the point is that Rapapa says, yeah, use a different um, uh, trick. And Talmud is going to get 200 zoos if he does chalitza, and then just don't give it to him. Okay. Um, so he does chalitza, and then Abaye, the judge, says, okay, now give him 200 zoos. But a papa told Abaye, no, no, you didn't get, you didn't understand what I was saying before. Uh, you don't even, she doesn't even have to give uh, it. Rather, we, she can say, I was fooling you. I was tricking you. I wasn't, I didn't mean it that I was really going to pay you 200 zoos, right? Um, jokes on you. And uh, so she's, she can say that, and the chalitza is valid. Uh, okay, so it took Abaye a couple of steps to understand the full uh, scheme that a papa had devised. Uh, 
And uh, so now we add, we ask a question on that. Oh no, we uh, we bring a proof for for the fact that you can do this. How do you know that you can make a condition and then not pay and still is valid? Let's say a guy is running uh, from jail. He's escaped jail. Let's assume that it's a, a jail of bad guys and you know like Romans and he's uh, innocent. And so he escapes jail and now there's a ferry that's leaving. And so he's got to get on the ferry no matter what uh, to, to escape the police. And so he says, here, I'll give you a dinar, like a lot of money. I'll give you $10,000 uh, and take me to the other side, right? Quick. And when he gets to the other side, he does not have to pay the $10,000. He just pays the regular usual rate, whatever, you know, $2.75, whatever the regular rate is. Because it's clear that he only said that to uh, encourage him. Like, I'll pay you anything. I'll pay you a million dollars. But he didn't really mean that he um, has to do it on that condition. Uh, so therefore, just like when there are extenuating circumstances, and it's clear that the person does not really mean it, you don't have to follow through with that condition. That's a proof that we can do the same thing with Chalitza. Just like the guy escaping from jail can say, I was just fooling you. So too she can say, no, I did not mean that I was actually going to pay you. Uh, I just wanted to encourage you to do the Chalitza. Okay, uh, fa- uh, end of that same story. Abaye was like, so, so how, so how sharp the papa is that he was able to uh, um, come up with this great solution that works better than the other one of him thinking that he's marrying her and that's not even such a good chalitza. This one's a good chalitza and he brought a proof from another source. So he's asking him, like, you know, where do you come from? Uh, where's your father? Male bemata is in the city. Imachecha, and where's your, uh, where, where's your mother? Male bemata, she's also in the city. Ushriban Abaye set his eyes upon them, kind of gave him the evil eye, and his parents died. All right, in every rabbinic Talmudic story, someone has to die in the end. Why did they die here? What's the point? Perhaps some say that Abaye himself was an orphan, and so he was kind of jealous. You know, you're so sharp. You know why you're so sharp? Because you have a father and mother. Look how they go into the city. They make money. They come. They take care of you, and that's why... You have so much time on your hands and you can be so sharp. I wish I had that, if only. And so because he had felt that jealousy, that uh, um, uh, he, that was itself a kind of a curse upon Rav Papa. Not that Rav Papa did anything to deserve it. I wonder if maybe you can give an opposite interpretation that perhaps Abaya thinks, you know why I became so great? Because I was an orphan. Sometimes when people are challenged, by uh, by great challenges, they rise to greatness. Every hero in every story is always an orphan. Um, going back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, and uh, so perhaps he's saying, you know what, you'll be even greater if you're an orphan, so he's doing him a favor. Okay, either way, it's not very fair of him to have to lose his parents just for giving uh, helping out a chalutza. But anyway, that's the story. Tenora banan, halisamut et keshera, get mutaye pasul. So, more about this mistaken get, mistaken halitza, and now comparing it to a get. Um, a mistaken halitza, uh, meaning one that's done on this, you know, a false condition, uh, as we explained, is valid. But if you do that, uh, get mutaye pasul, if someone gives a get on condition that you'll pay me 200 zoos, 
then you have to pay it. You can't use trickery regarding get. Okay. Halisa meosit, meoset, pesula, get meose, kasheh. This is very, very important and for modern halacha and the whole, the whole law of aguna and why there is aguna in the first place. Halisa, that is forced. This comes from the word la'asa, la'asot. Me'uset, one is forced to give a chalitza, uh, to accept a chalitza. If the man is forced, it's not valid. But a, a, a get document that is forced is kosher. Uh, Betin comes and says, you have to give a get. And they force him and they beat him up. Uh, then and gives it, it is valid. Okay, we ask, what, what, what is the case? If they beat him up, but then in the end he says, okay, fine, I'm willing to do it. Then even Khalisa that is forced is fine. And if the Betin beats him up, and never, even after torturing him, he does not say, fine, I will give it. Um, then that get is no good, right? If they kind of force his hand and to, to give the get, um, but he never accepted and said, I'm willing to give it, then it's no good either way. So actually, and there's no difference, there should be no difference between Halitsa and the get. Uh, in both cases, beating up, uh, or whatever the betin does, whether they put him in jail or they uh, give him a fine or they uh, excommunicate him or give him lashes, whatever they do, it has to result in him saying, I want to. And if he does, says, okay, fine, I will, then that's kosher in either case. So, hechi, hechi ka'amad. Uh, so this is the same as what we have. Chalisa uh, that's mistaken is always going to be in all cases is okay. A get that has is based on false pretenses, a uh, condition uh, that's not fulfilled is always going to be invalid. Halisa me'oset veget me'oset zimnin kashev zimnin pasul. But the other case, whether it's chalitza or it's a get and it's forced, well then it depends. Sometimes it's valid, sometimes it's not valid. If the get forces, if the beti enforces him, uh, then, uh, and in the end, after doing all kinds of threats, whatever they have to do, he says, yes, okay, I want to, then it's valid. Both of are valid. And if he does not say, I want to, I'm willing to do to go through with this, and he's just forced to, you know, sit here and have his shoe removed and all that, uh, then it is not valid. He has to verbally say, yes, I want to. Okay, how does this apply nowadays, uh, where the, the basic problem of aguna is because a man has to do, has to give the get willingly, and we can't force him. The truth is if we have a uh, um, a valid betin that goes through all the procedures and very complicated procedures and the betin can authorize command a man to give a get under certain circumstances not any circumstance uh, but if it fits within the criteria that the Talmud and Halakha says and an official betin uh, is there they can actually force him uh, to give a get, as is done in Israel nowadays, where they'll throw a guy in jail. Sometimes the guy is already in jail for some other crime, and they'll even put him in solitary confinement until he gives the get. And that is valid because the Betin will only use that in those limited circumstances in which they are authorized to force the Betin to give the get. Uh, what this, the, the problem is that this cannot be used 
under other circumstances, if it's not a bet, uh, authorized betin, or it's not for the proper reasons, and you know some thugs just go and beat up uh, the guy in a back alley, so they gives the get, then that is called a forced get, and so not only is it uh, you know uh, against the law to beat people up in America, but also the get itself would not even be valid uh, if you do that um, uh, when it's not under the authority and proper procedure of betin. Okay, but in the end, uh, this does work, and it is valid uh, if you uh, properly, with uh, in, un, uh, under the correct circumstances and with a betin, if he if you beat him up and he says, okay, fine, I am willing to give a get, uh, then that is, in fact, valid. Detanya, yakriv oto, we know that this is valid by comparison to a korban ola, otov, someone offers a, 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 a korban, or he promises to offer an, a, a korban ola, so we force him to give it. You right? You have to give it. You promised that you would give it. You owe it. Yachol ba'al korcho. Now, can we force him against his will? Every sacrifice has to also be willingly. He has to give it willingly. So, what does this mean? What do you mean you force him? But we has to be willing. It means we force him by all any all means that a betin has, uh, even uh, giving him lashes. And we do that until he says, okay, fine, I agree. And then that's enough. That's uh, sufficiently called willing. And so too, regarding giving a get, uh, the betin can uh, force him until he says, okay, fine, you know what, I do want to. And Ambam famously explains here that really uh, the, the, the lashes are not forcing him to do something that's against his will because every Jewish person inside sometimes inside, really inside, wants to do the right thing. And it's just the external yesadara that's get it, that's uh, uh, convincing him to do otherwise. It's his jealousy, hatred uh, to his uh, wife who is about to be his ex-wife. And so the lashes are just counteract all the negative jealousy that's preventing him from doing his true Jewish uh, responsibility of giving the get. So that's why the Rotsani is, in fact, a true willingness. Okay, fantastic psychological insight of Rambam explaining this halacha. Okay, of course, without, uh, without a betin who is authorizing it in Israel where they can actually uh, use the civil, civil law to force a person to do something, without that, um, there's very little that a betin can do. Uh, they cannot uh, uh, beat him up, even giving him a fine or, or other things they cannot do. You can shame him publicly. That is permitted, uh, making protests in front of his house and uh, things like that because it's indirect. It's not uh, forced him if he can stay that way if he wants. Uh, so the Rishonim permit um, doing that kind of public shaming for uh, to force someone to give a get, but not giving fines and certainly not physically forcing the person to do it. And so um, this is the uh, this is uh, the very very significant background to understanding uh, the whole uh, situation of Aguna nowadays. All right, Amarava, Amarav Sechora, Amarav Huna, Chosin Afapish and Makidin, Memaanin Afapish and Makidin. So now a new halacha is that if some of a woman and a man come to do chalisa in front of a betin, 
uh, the Betin can do it even if they don't recognize the people. Uh, they don't know. Are these, uh, this the brother-in-law of that one? Are you, who are you? So uh, um, otherwise, you know, if you're giving a, a get, they're presiding over a get. You have to establish who are you, who is she, because you're going to be writing the names in the document. So you got to bring testimony that you are, in fact, who you say you are. But for Khalitsa, no need to do that. Also for Mi'un, if a woman was married off as a minor and she decides, you know what, I refuse my husband, I don't want him. And so uh, she has to come to a Betin and say, you know, even though my uh, mother married me off, I don't want to. I don't want to remain married to this guy. Uh, so you can do that even without uh, their ID cards. It's permitted. Now, as a consequence of that, uh, we therefore do not write a get halisa. A get halisa is different from a get. A regular get for a married couple, when he gives it to her, that effectuates the divorce. A get halitza is not that. The, the, the separation is effectuated by doing the halitza ceremony. But after you do it, then the, she may want a receipt. Uh, it's a proof. That's a get chalitza as a proof that she did chalitza. So now we say, uh, Betin can write a get chalitza only if they recognize the people, right? They know the people, they grew up with them, or there's proof that the witnesses come and say, this person's name is so-and-so, daughter of so-and-so, and, uh, and the man. Uh, so if they recognize the people, then they can write a receipt, a valid proof. This woman can go and get remarried. That's fine. But if they don't recognize the person, yes, they can preside over the halitza, and that will be good for her, so she knows that she is free. But they can't write it down because they don't. They can't actually. Uh, um, uh, uh, they cannot substantiate that. What are they going to write? Whose name are they going to write? They cannot substantiate that the name that they tell that she tells the betin is in fact her name. And uh, so anyone can come and uh, do a chalisa and say, okay, write the, write some other name. And they don't know that that name is true, so they can't write a document that she would be able to take elsewhere. Same thing for Mi'un. Mi'un is done by her declaring, I don't want the guy, but this would be a, a proof that she did Mi'un. And just in case someone says, wait a second, well, I was at that wedding. Weren't you married? And says, no, no, I did Mi'un. So if they, if they recognize her, then they can write a get, uh, Mi'un. Otherwise, they cannot write it. She has to go uh, on her own and figure it out. Um, and the reason is because we worry about a betin making a mistake. She's going to go to the next place and a different city, and the betin will see that she has this document. And even if you look in the document, maybe it won't say that we verified the name. Uh, still, the betin is just going to look at it and say, oh, you have a valid document? Okay, you can get remarried. But really, it may be a mistake. So therefore, we don't give her a document at all, and the next betin will have to somehow verify who it is and that and that she did chalisa in fact if she ever wants to get remarried okay now here's a different halacha this one was said uh rava said in the name of rav sechora and the name of rav huna but rava himself disagreed and he said you know what we only do chalisa if in fact we do recognize her, and we're only going to preside over a mi'un 
if we recognize uh, who the girl is. And therefore, we can write a document uh, that verifies a chalitza, even if we or they do not recognize her. So the makirin, the they here, can't be referring to the betin in this case because we just said the betin do have to recognize. Uh, therefore, must be referring to, let's say, the witnesses. Uh, who, even if the witnesses don't recognize her, nevertheless, they can sign on a document that says, Yes, we saw them do chalitza because they can rely on the betin. And similarly with the get mi'un, even if the witnesses don't recognize them uh, because they can sign on a document and that will be authentic because they can rely on the betin. And we don't have to worry, we don't have to worry that maybe the betin is going to be mistaken. This betin will not be mistaken because they're going to look into it and check and then the witnesses can rely on that. All right, and the last Mishnah of the Perek Mitzvat Halisa Bahu Vivim To Lebetin Behen Masiin Lo Esahogenet Lo Shneemar Bekaru Lo Ziknayirov Ediberu Elav. So here we're going to get the full procedure. Uh, first, uh, the uh, man and the woman, the Yavam and the Yavama, come to Betin, and uh, the Betin will give him proper advice. How do we know that the Betin should do that? Because it says they will call him and speak to him. What are they speaking to him about? Just, isn't it just do yibum or do chalitza? No, it means that they're going to size up the couple. Is this a proper couple? Are they uh, a big difference in age? Or is it, uh, for whatever reason, they see it's not going to be for a proper intention. So they tell them whether to do boom or if uh, they advise Chalitza is the better option. If so, If they all decide they're going to do Chalitza, then she has to recite the following Pasuk, right? Right word for word from the Chumash. Uh, one of the judges will uh, dictate to her and say, my brother-in-law refuses uh, to uphold the name of his brother in Israel. He refuses to take me uh, in Yibum. It's interesting that he has to say this. She has to say this, even though he is willing. Uh, but the Betin uh, says, no, don't do it. And he then he says, uh, uh, an agreement. Yes, indeed, I do not want to take her. And again, even if he actually does want to, but the Betin is telling him, no, you shouldn't, or if she doesn't want to, nevertheless, uh, she he wants to do what's proper for her and proper in the eyes of the Betin. So it's he's still telling the truth and saying, I am not going to. Uh, I do not want to take her uh, and uh, in Yibum. And they should, should say it in Hebrew. After he, she, and he make those declarations, then the yeah, her, her Yavam comes, uh, approaches in front of um, to. His Yevama, she approaches him in front of the elders, that's the judges, and first they do the shoe removal ceremony, and then she spits towards his face. Doesn't have to hit his face, uh, just has to be in front of his face. Uh, and uh, since it says, so the judges have to actually see the spit um, go out of her mouth and um, go towards him. 
וענתה ואמרה ככה יעשה לאיש אשר לא יבנה את בית אחיו. After she does the spitting, then the woman will say, so shall be done to the man who does not build his brother's house. That's the last thing that she says. Ad makrin, and that's it. She would stop there. That's the way it was originally done. But then it was changed. One time Rabbi Hurkanos presided over a chalitza under the alatri in Etam. And he had her read the entire paragraph, meaning uh, here she takes it off, she spits, and she says, this is what shall be done to a man who does not build his brother's house. And then this, she, she, he, would, he had her continue and say, And his name, he will be called in Israel, the house of the one whose shoe was taken off. That's a, he'll from now on be ashamed forever by being known by that title. So uh, he did that. And then, uh, since he did that, so then everyone continued uh, with that practice and she would read the entire thing. Okay. Um, but now after she said, whether or not she says it, and if she does, then after she says it, then the judges would say, um, uh, also, uh, let his name be called the one whose shoe was removed. But the main thing is that the judges should say it. They're the ones that are kind of giving that public shaming and, you know, uh, um, uh, as independent authorities uh, saying, you are the one, uh, the unsandaled family. That will be um, public shame. But the students and other bystanders don't have to say it. The Buddha disagrees and says, actually, everyone there, all the students, several bystanders should say, oh, see, he is the house of this unsandaled one. And that would be an even bigger a public shaming that he didn't fulfill his responsibility. Gemara, Amar of Yehuda, Misfat Hadisa, Kora vekore vecholeset brokeka vekora. So here's the proper procedure. Uh, first, she should say her statement, my, my uh, brother-in-law is refusing, vekore, and then he says his, yes, I refuse, and then she does the taking off the shoe, then she does the spitting, and then she says her last piece um, of uh, um, this one, laish. Okay, Matnitini. We wonder, isn't this obvious? We just read that in the Mishnah. Why is this, what is Avuda teaching us? This is the preferred order. But if you switch something around, then it's still valid, as we saw before. If you do the spitting first. I will still be valid. As we have a Braita that in fact says, whether you do the shoe first and then the spitting, or the spitting and then the shoe, what's done is done and it is valid. Abaye has very important advice that when the the judge is reciting the text of the bill of divorce to her, and they would write down in that bill of divorce that would be used as a proof, they would write down, he, she said to him, X, uh, he then said to her, and so he would read it out, um, and this, uh, the bill of document would say, yes, we authorize, we uh, confirm that they did this procedure and they told each other that. So uh, before they signed it, the judges would actually read from it and say, you know, you have to actually say this. So when they would uh, dictate to her, uh, where, and she would say, Lo avaya bemi, 
he, my brother-in-law, does not wish to do yibum, you should not dictate with a separation in between and say law separately and then avaya bimi separately because then it sounds like the law could be working with the clause beforehand and then avaya bimi, he does want to uh, uh, perform yibum. Uh, in other words, it wouldn't be clear. The, the syntax would not be clear. Uh, here's the full statement. Um, she, she says, You can read it like that. Right, does my, does my brother-in-law refuse to uphold the name? No, he doesn't, period. He does want to do Yibum. And so, uh, so make sure that when you're reading it, you stop here. Then you say, All in one breath. And she repeats it all in one breath. Okay, good advice by Abaye. And similarly, when he reads the verse to him, uh, it should not read as Lo hafatsti, lo, and then hafatsti, uh, no, and then separately, I want to take her, because then it sounds like uh, he is saying, yes, I want to take her in Yibum. Rather, lo hafatsti lekarta, he has to say all in one breath, I do not, and, and it should be dictated to him all in one breath, I do not want to take her. Good. Rava Amar, Rava said, no, this is uh, just an interruption, but taking a pause. And there's nothing important about a pause. Everybody knows that you can pause between. We do that all the time. You know, when we, and the rabbi says to the groom, and he, uh, and he says each word by itself. There also could be a problem because often the groom is looking at the rabbi when he says it. And the rabbi has to remind him, no, you have to look at the bride and say that. Okay, but that's just a, a regular pause, and uh, everyone understands what the meaning is. One time, Rav Asher saw Rav Kahana, and he was having a hard time with uh, uh, with a certain woman trying to dictate to her all in one. Lo avaya bemi. She couldn't get it. She needed it. She needed it broken down into smaller parts, and he was uh, he was not able. He was having a hard time getting her to say all. All this in one uh, breath. So Ravashe said, well, don't you agree with Rava? Rava said, it's just a pause. And uh, it's okay, you can say it. Uh, you can dictate those words separately. It's no big deal. Uh, so he responded that actually Rava agree, would agree with Abaye um, when it comes to her statement that that all should be in one breath. When he was saying, uh, no, don't worry about it, it's just a pause, well, he was only disagreeing regarding his statement. What's the difference? His statement is, in fact, a standalone. He only says his three words, lo ava, lo chafasti, lekarta. So if he says lo, chafasti, lekarta, there's no way to confuse it. He said the law, so that has to be referring to the next two words. Whereas her statement is longer, and she said something beforehand, and so it could be misinterpreted uh, that the law is coming to what before came before. And then if you say separately, it sounds like that could be a new sentence. And that's why um, even Rava, who was not particular with the way the man says it, was uh, would be particular and agree with Abaya with the way she says it. And that's why he was kept repeating to her so that she would say it right. Okay, Amar Le, 
Abaya said that when uh, we write, when you're a person that writes the document confirming the Khalitsa, he should write as follows. We recited to her from the words until and don't fill in the rest. Just do uh, from these words until these words. Don't write the entire verse. And we recited to him from the word law until even though there's only one word in between. Don't write the whole pasuk. And then we had her recite, uh, we recited to her from the word kacha until halusanal, and don't fill in the middle. What's the reason? The reason is because there is a prohibition mentioned in Masechet Gitin, Daf Samech, that one should not write only one section of Chumash. Uh, Chumash was given together as a whole, and therefore you're not allowed to take one piece out of context, uh, even to write it as a, as a, a text for students. Uh, to read, to learn how to read. And so it's much easier if you can make, uh, just have one section, uh, right? Uh, this is the first uh, pedic of Bereshit. Uh, they want to learn that. No, it's not permitted. You have to write a whole Sefer Torah because you cannot take things out of context. They were not given in that way. And so here, where we are writing, and it's an official writing, we're doing it in Ketavashuri, writing it on a document. And uh, so you should not write an entire Pasuk um, uh, because you're not writing a whole chumash, rather just write the first and last couple of word, uh, word or two, and that way uh, we know what the reference is to, and we don't violate uh, uh, writing a, 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 only a portion of chumash. Mozutra, however, would in fact he would uh, score the parchment the same way we do on a sefer Torah, and so it was official writing, and he would write. The whole Chalisa passage on it. He would write the, all, the whole, all, all the Pesukim as one unit. And so now we ask, how could he do that? Here's the law. It, is not met, it cannot be written. The entire Chumash can be written, but you're not allowed to write one section on its own. And that's why we did this and we wrote only a, a word here and a word there. So Morzutra, how could, uh, how could you do that? But in the end, we say, Halacha is in fact like Morzutra and it is permitted. The reason is because it's a firm mitzvah. Uh, we have to do, we have to write this section so that we can confirm and not have any misunderstanding of what word did he say, what word didn't she say. So we write the whole thing and it's clear that this is not a, meant as a copy of Chumash, uh, but rather is a, um, a, uh, a, a proof of the dictation of the ceremony, of what happened during the ceremony. Okay, good. Amar Abaye, Rakeka uklatu haruach lo asa velo kelum. If she spat, but then the wind, a wind came and blew her uh, saliva away and never ended uh, and never uh, passed his face, uh, that's not good. It has to, uh, she has to spit, and the spit has to be go t- in front, of, not, doesn't have to land on his face, but it has to go past his face. Because Pasuk says, she spits in his face. Therefore, if he is tall and she is short, uh, then, uh, even if the wind 
takes it away, it still is in front of him because she is short. So as soon as it comes out of her mouth, it's already in front of him. However, the opposite, if she is tall and she towers above him and she's, you know, below at, uh, uh, at her shoulder uh, uh, height, then we need uh, the spit to go out of her mouth and descend until it goes to the height of his face and only then, if the wind blows it away, it doesn't matter. But and then if the wind blows it right away, and she's taller, then it never goes in front of him, and then it's not good. Good. Amar Rava, achla tuma verakta, achla gargishta verakta lo asta velo kelum. If she ate garlic and she spat because of the garlic, or she ate this other type of clay that was eaten for medicinal purposes, it was very sharp and bad tasting, and it caused someone to spit. Uh, involuntarily. That's not good. She has to spit on her own. Because the Pasuk says she spits, meaning of her own free will, and not because she's forced be, to spit because she ate something bad. Rava says that the judges must see the spit as it leaves her mouth, um, because it says in front of the eyes of the judges, and and uh, and immediately after it says, and she spits. And last paragraph, uh, we mentioned just now that uh, the, those last words that he will, his name will be called in Israel, the house of the one who had his shoe removed. The main mitzvah is that the judges should say that and not the students. Now in the Mishnah disagreed and said, no, everyone should say it, all the students. And here's a Baraita that fills in the background of his opinion. He learned it from one time when he was a student sitting in front of Rabbi Tarfon. And the Yevama came and, uh, to do Chalisa, and Rabbi Tarfon was presiding over the ceremony. And then when, he was, when they were done, he told all the students, everyone in the courtroom, uh, everyone say, he, his shoe, uh, he who had his shoe removed, he's the Chalusanal, he's the Chalusanal. Three times everybody would, would say it out loud, and that would be um, uh, impactful as that public shaming that was coming to him for not fulfilling his fundamental uh, duty, responsibility to his deceased brother. Hazran Alach Misfat Chalisa Chazakim Uberuchim.